presented by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. That's a new personal best bike here. Now here's your host, Brett Amundsen. That's right. Thank you for joining us. I don't know how we're going to top the last couple of weeks, by the I way. I think we just got to take the weeks off. Welcome to the show. Uh, that's Dan Amundsen right over there, along with David Eckhart. How you guys doing? Oh, doing just peachy. Doing great. Recovered from the big old party at the Rainy River last week? Not one bit. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that was a good time. Um, you've heard us talk about it a lot. We're just going to touch on it a little bit more here this week. Uh, some stuff that we probably didn't talk about last week here on the show because we couldn't cram enough of it into it. Uh, we'll be talking about that. We've got uh, Joe Henry is going to be joining us, plus uh, Eric Osberg, too, as they recap a little bit of their experience. And we, Eric didn't bring us maple syrup milkshakes. I'm very disappointed. So we're gonna we're gonna give Eric a hard time about that. Uh, we've also got Lucas Mer- Lucas Mertens from Haybale Heights Campground Resort on Devil's Lake joining us. He's gonna be talking about conditions up at Devil's Lake right now. Uh, how much snow is there? How much ice is there? Is the lake gonna be higher, lower? What's all this moisture doing to Devil's Lake? He'll tell us here in a little bit. And when it comes to water, having clean water for uh, drinking water, for fishing, for, uh, you know, our the habitat and having a, a good ecosystem. It's so important for the future and the sustainability uh, for, for anglers, for people that want to go out and fish and, and pass it on to the next generation. It's important. What do you need to do to make sure that happens? Well, John O'Keefe from Yamaha's Right Waters is going to join us to talk about just that and how important uh, clean water and uh, a sustainable fishery is for the future. Dan, who is this week's show brought to us by? Yeah, this week's show this is brought to us by OnX. Know where you stand with OnX. Camp Grayling, come catch the Grand Slam in Saskatchewan. Lake Trout, Pike, Grayling, and Walleye. Fish Camp Grayling this summer. Ottertail Lakes Country, find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Haybill Heights Campground and Resort, they just put away their snow bears, but so book your summer getaway to Devil's Lake. Learn more at haybillheights.com. Lake of the Woods Tourism is the, la- the walleye capital planning a trip for this spring or summer at lakeofthewoodsmn.com Prairie Sportsman, the new season is underway watch episodes on the Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel or check your TV guide for local air times at Midmigration Outfitters, come hunt the waterfowl out of heated 10-man pits and comfortable blinds learn more at midmigrationoutfitters.com How's it going over there, Dan? Oh, one of these days we'll actually get things right and not stumble over my words. Reading it, is hard. I would like to add a couple more to that list to see if Dan how long he can hold his breath for as he goes through all that. So I if you quit, if you'd like to be a sponsor, find out more about advertising with us at SportingJournalRadio.com. Uh, Prairie Sportsman, a brand new episode of Prairie Sportsman coming this Sunday night to Pioneer PBS or the new Prairie Sportsman YouTube channel, and it's uh, about brook trout fishing, native brook trout out in Minnesota and down in the southeast we went down there with Vaughn Snook and uh, some other biologists and learned a little bit about some research that's going on learned about some turtles and what clean water and some habitat restoration efforts are going on down there for the brook trout. They, turns out they don't really like the browns that much down there. I didn't realize that so much uh, <laughs> because the browns were brought in by the settlers and it's negatively impacted the native brook trout. Hmm. So we're going to learn more about that and what's being done to preserve our fisheries down in southeastern Minnesota on the next episode of Prairie Sportsman. Go to prairiesportsman.org for more information. Clean water and sustainable fishing is important to us here at Sporting Journal Radio, whether you practice catch and release methods or maybe it's lowering limits. I think we're going to see some of that happening uh, across the state or just cleaning up that fishery. And a great example of that is what happened at the Rainy River and how the Clean Water Act uh, in 1972 here in the U.S. and also Canada did uh, had a similar act a similar effort in 1971 get passed up there and that helped clean up the rainy river as well so canada and the united states worked together to clean that up and it's created this world-class sturgeon fishery and of course the walleye obviously have benefit benefited from it as well and guys we were up there last week for the party and it was you know we had hard dates picked for this fish donkey fishing tournament that was sponsored by yamaha's right waters on x also live target and uh smith's consumer Products as well so thank you to our sponsors but when you pick hard dates like that the rainy river is one of those things where you almost say all right guys today is the day we need to go uh you can't always time it by the calendar but 
we fished through some tough conditions up there. You guys all had tops in your boats and heaters. <laughs> it was pretty nice under those tops. I didn't have one of those in the boat I was in, but uh, we caught a bunch of fish, had a great time. Yeah. So David, you obviously big walleyes are kind of the ticket, but how excited were you to try to catch a big sturgeon up there? I was pretty excited. I'd never caught one before, so. Oh really? No, that was, okay. uh, caught my first sturgeon on that trip. So I was looking forward to trying that out. Yeah, it's a, a lot like flathead fishing, I'm sure. Yeah, I use the same gear. And uh, what was the, what, what did you do exactly? And what, what gear did you use? Uh, the first day we started out with uh, no roll weights and circle hooks and I had brought my flathead gear which was a little bit bigger hooks and a little bit different style weights and but it all works the same. Pretty much except there's a little difference with the hook setting. Yeah the circle hooks you don't you don't set the hook and I lost a couple big fish the first day so I said I'm gonna switch over to my flathead gear and it felt pretty good to set the hook on a big fish. <laughs> I don't know, like that, and I, honestly, I don't do it very often, so I don't use circle hooks very much. That's that would be the hardest thing for me is to not set the hook. Yeah, just start reeling. I struggled the first day. They're like, "Oh, don't set the hook." I'm like, "Oh, I just really, <laughs> really fun. want to bury that's that hook." Part of fishing. Yeah. Oh, it's, uh, hook sets are free, just right? Just start reeling. <laughs> <laughs> Man, uh, you guys, you guys caught some surgeon. That was your first trip to the rainy, too. Yes. Yep. What'd you think? It was awesome. I already want to go back and fish for sturgeon. Yeah. We're secretly planning a trip for that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> don't have to be. This weekend? Don't have to be Next a weekend. Secret. Next weekend? Yeah. <laughs> oh. I think it's a great idea. Of course, walleyes uh, closed up. They close on April 14th every year. Uh, but that's when I know a lot of the hardcore sturgeon guys, that's when they head up there is after the walleye traffic dies down because it can be, it can be crazy. Even on those days where we were there with some pretty tough weather. I know that weather kept a lot of people away from the river. So we benefited slightly from that bad weather because it gave us more parking spots at the access. We got our boats in and out, didn't really have to wait too long. That first day when it was nice, Dan, you had, how far away do you think you had to park that first day? Um, over a mile for sure. I mean, that was a long golf cart ride. I didn't even walk, but the nice kid at the landing gave me a ride. Uh, thank you, I never caught your name, but appreciate it. Um, I would have been walking. We'd have been a little late on the water that day. Yeah. That's okay. That's how it is. You expect that. Well, I know some people wondered why we had our tournament hours from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. each day. And I know a lot of guys were out there catching walleyes right at uh, sunrise. And they were like, oh, dang it, I can't enter this into the contest. But that's part of the reason why we did it a little bit later in the day, because we wanted to give everybody a chance to get on the water. So he didn't have to, didn't, everybody didn't rush to the landing right away in the morning and create even more backups. We wanted to kind of spread it out, let everybody get out there, let you sleep in a little bit. You know, we were up there for our 500 show party so there were a couple of late nights so uh, I, it was a fun time and uh, we had a great time there were some nice fish David before the tournament started you caught a 28 and a half inch yeah walleye. the day before pre-fishing you could say yeah yeah I caught caught a 28 and a half it was that was a good good one to catch dog dog doggone it though I knew it as soon as the tournament was over as soon as we left they'd just start smashing what? big yeah <laughs> so to today on, junior <laughs> I knew they were going to start catching fish as soon as that tournament was over and that's exactly what's happened too they've been crushing big fish up there yeah once that water got a little bit warmer and that weather passed but they've also had a lot longer lines at uh, at the launches too. So yeah. I had a buddy who was up there Friday or Saturday. I can't remember, but he waited in line for. Well, he was in the boat, but he waited two hours. Oh my gosh! To get out, and uh, they that ended up they had a late night that night. Just yeah. couldn't get back to the lodge. Yeah. yeah. The, that's the one pro problem with that rainy river deal. And as the accesses open up, that gets a little bit easier. Now there's five accesses open. Uh, but, it, you know, if you do it right and you can time it right, it can be uh, the best fishing uh, of your life. And we'll talk more about that fishing coming up a little bit. I'm surprised. Did anybody catch sturgeon on walleye gear while we were up there? Not that I know of. I saw some boats that did. Yeah. I, you know, when we drug, 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 dragged jigs for a little bit, I'm struggling today. <laughs> Drugged them up, man. Huh? We drug, man. We drug some fish, dude. And uh, but we mainly once we switched to cranks, then it was going to be pretty much walleyes only. But we did get this video from Joel Alden. He said, I think this is his first sturgeon that he hooked into. It's on his walleye gear. He caught it on a ten pound test. He said, 
and uh, I think it was a 53-inch sturgeon, which it looks bigger than 53 inches in that photo right there. But um, he said it was a blast bringing it in on walleye gear. I think it took him like an hour to bring it in. Hmm. I'll give him I'll give him props for uh, putting up with that fight for that long to, to fight it. So uh, congratulations, Joe. Thanks for sending us that video. Uh, in exchange, we'll hook you up with a gift card to the Sporting Journal Radio store for hats, hoodies, mugs, and more. Go to SportingJournalRadio.com. Uh, David, Flathead season is open yeah you're uh it's uh you can keep two but most of the time people just catch and release them anyway yeah and uh so do you do you start targeting them this early um i usually wait till the waters slow down a little bit on the river where i fish they're oh sure they're flowing pretty fast right now so well there's nice fish right there you look kind of like the catfish in that picture. <laughs> <laughs> look like I've been living on the river for a while. <laughs> this is some late nights. You like to go at night? Yeah. I'll, if I if the schedule allows it, I'll fish all night. So are you, uh, you'll shore fish and boat fish, right? Yep. What do you prefer? I like fishing out of the boat because you can cover more ground. You can, you can hit up more holes or tree piles or wherever, you know, if it's slow in one spot after half an hour, you can move 100 yards pretty easy we've had a lot of fun on the shore though oh yeah yeah i do like shore fishing too catfish camp oh yeah what is the number one piece of advice you would give to somebody if they were going to fish flatheads at night um man i don't know okay two big pieces bait. big bait <laughs> big bait bullheads bullheads yeah that's I've had the best luck on bullheads. So you'll go catch a bullhead first. Yep. And then how do you, how well can you keep them alive? Oh, if you keep fresh water on them and an aerator, they'll last quite a while. Do you have a big like just in a bucket, or do you use a big? I use a cooler. Big bait cooler. Yep. Or just like a regular cooler. It's you, just an old igloo cooler that converted into yeah. a bullhead cooler. Yeah. It's, you ever get them mixed up and you reach in for a beer and oh, a, pull out a bullhead? Yeah, get stabbed. Get stuck by a bullhead. <laughs> that's funny. Well, uh, flathead season is open. Flathead season, I feel that doesn't sound right. Flat, yeah. the, the Catfish season. Catfish season, yeah. Anyway, but so is turkey season. Um, how are you, are you guys excited for turkeys yet? I was, and then <laughs> <laughs> the weather didn't. The, the storm of the century yeah. came through. We did some scouting, and uh, I think, you know, early season's been really good for me. Early season's been really bad for me in the past. Most of the time, it's been pretty bad. So we'll wait, <laughs> let the weather warm up. We'll really, uh, recover from fishing and snow goose hunting and get ready to change gears here in a few days. Yeah. David, when are you going to start turkey hunting? Um, I'll wait till this wind dies down a little bit and warms up a little bit more. But that's a catch twenty two. If you yeah, you wait for the weather, or if you wait till late season, you know it seems like it's so much earlier. You got to get up to get out there with the sun coming up earlier. Yeah. That does suck. Well, I, <laughs> I, I saw a few birds get shot already. I have had zero. I mean, you can't even stand up outside right now. Right no. now. Wind is blowing so much. So, uh, but soon we did scout. Didn't see any birds out there the other day, and we spent a couple hours driving around. But. They're out there somewhere. Go find some birds. All right. Well, good luck to you guys once you get out there. Good luck to you if you're out there chasing turkeys or flatheads or sturgeon or whatever the case may be. Go out and do it and uh, do it with the future in mind. And that's sustainability and clean water. And that's what Yamaha's Right Waters is all about. John O'Keefe will join us next on the show. 852 million acres of public land. 147 million private properties. All in the palm of your hand. The number one hunting GPS app just got better. With hundreds of custom map layers, 3D and topographic maps, you can easily scout on the road or at home before you go. And now you can get important weather details, CWD detection, and even know what crops have been planted where. Get the most trusted hunting GPS app ever made. Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. So, as an angler, it's important for us to think about the future. Well, one thing we stress here at Sporting Journal Radio and even at the TV show Prairie Sportsman is uh, to enjoy the outdoors, but to do it in a way that's sustainable for the future, whether that's uh, conservation efforts, whether that's introducing more people to the outdoors with the, and, and teach them the right way to enjoy the outdoors or 
You know, as hard as it is for us to get involved politically one way or another and make sure you speak to your representatives about uh, issues that you're passionate about. And uh, I learned a little bit more about the Rainy River and the sturgeon fishery up there. We were just up there celebrating our 500th episode and the sturgeon fishing up there has gotten to be so good. And you literally can say it's because of the river cleanup that took place, the uh, the Clean Water Act and the, the cleanup of the paper mills uh, that they did up there. That is why we're benefiting uh, from such good, benefiting with such good fishing up there right now. Yamaha's Right Waters believes in uh, clean water and sustainability. And to tell us more about it, we've got John O'Keefe on the show right now. He's a senior specialist, Marine Government Relations. John, thanks for coming on the show. Brett, thank you for having me. Um, and for highlighting uh, Yamaha Rightwaters. Absolutely. Um, you know, when you told me about it, uh, I said, this is great. You know, you need to have, especially a big company like Yamaha, it's great to see, um, it's great to see a big company like that be more than just, you know, about selling products, you know, and about the sustainability in the future and keeping, keeping our, our fisheries and our waterways healthy and sustainable out there, John. Well, we truly believe that being involved in what our customers enjoy doing is good business. Um, 70% of our customers fish. And so if there are no fish to, to go after, um, we lose our customers. There's, there's no reason for them to be buying our product uh, if we're not protecting their, their access to both the water and the fish. I know I wish we could have had you up at the rainy last week for the party. You know, you, you probably actually missed out because it was uh, 30 degrees and snowing, I think, the entire time. I mean, it was I mean, you live down in the south. It was probably brutally cold for you, uh, but we had a great time and we caught a pile of fish. And uh, <laughs> there's David with the sturgeon. <laughs> but you would have been able to see firsthand just what kind of fishing that river ha has uh, has now. And a lot of that is due, especially that fish right there, a lot of that has to do because of that Clean Water Act, um, 1972. It's, uh, the fishery has just gotten to be amazing. Well, it, we're, seeing, we're seeing all over the country various waterways that were once heavily polluted once people got involved and, and, and cared, they're coming back. The you know, the Hudson the Hudson River by New York City. I was up there two years ago, and they're talking about whales beaching themselves not far from New York City because the water has gotten that clean. Uh, a lot of it due to uh, a group called the Billion Oyster Project, uh, the Potomac River. They're actually putting out reports during the summer of areas that you could actually swim in the Anacostia River. Hmm. It's something that, you know, I grew up on the Potomac, and if you weren't on the Virginia side, you would never dream of getting in the Potomac. But now, it, some areas, it, it, it's good enough to swim. Hmm. Um, you know, and you're getting reports of that all over the country and it all has to do with you know, the Clean Water Act but more importantly individuals caring about their waterways and doing something about cleaning it up and keeping it clean for the future. That's I think one of the uh, something that we can all improve on when it comes to you know the hunters and anglers out there. We all love to do it. We all think we're the best. <laughs> we all think we're the best at it. But when it comes to actually doing something about you know protecting the public lands or, or creating habitat and seems like that we go to the banquets or we subscribe to the memberships uh, or you know we uh, join we get memberships with various conservation groups but there are some areas where we could do better um, when it comes to uh, conservation, isn't there? Yes, um, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. There's a, a gentleman who heads up the South Carolina Floodwater Commission who is also a teacher of, of environmental uh, politics. And he recently was interviewed and he went through various theories and such, but it, 
he boiled it down. He said, I don't care what you what you believe or don't believe. The the bottom line is we can all do better. Yeah. Uh, and he, he's he's right. It, it, and it really starts with just doing the first thing. Uh, and then from there it grows. And I think once you figure out what that first thing is, when you know, once you once you do it and you figure it out and you realize how easy it is, it becomes easier and easier to do that, whether it's contacting your your representatives or or speaking about a cause and, and being vocal and being active about it. Uh, I think once you get the ball rolling, it's a lot easier to get it done. Um, tell us tell us about Right Waters and how it started. Well, Yamaha has long been a leader in the marine industry when it comes to advocating for conservation and sustainability. The Right Waters Initiative uh, was born about three years ago, and it, it was done so that we could focus not only what we're doing, but how we're getting our efforts, the news of our efforts out to uh, the marine industry and our customers. Uh, and so when we were developing the program, you know, it, it, I could show you the, the whiteboard of just ideas and lines going all over the place. And you know, finally we, we started having to, to chip away at all the various things that, that were on there. And we narrowed it down to four areas that we were gonna focus on. Uh, and that was clean water, habitat restoration, the fight against the spread of aquatic invasive species, and supporting scientific research, um, all of which pertain to our customers having access to the thing they love to do. How has it been received across the industry? Uh, it's been fantastic. Um, I, a lot of times you feel as if you're Santa Claus because you're, you're helping these groups that sometimes go unnoticed. Uh, when you reach out and say, hey, what are you doing that we can help with? Um, you know, and I would need to stress that we're not the only ones doing this. You know, there's companies like AFCO, Yeti, Costa, that have, have been doing this for a long time. They're incredible, incredible supporters of conservation and sustainability. And it's just, it, it, it's been such a great, great project to work on. Um, the picture you just showed was uh, one of my favorite groups, the Keep Tennessee River Beautiful. Uh, I think last year they brought in almost 170 tons wow. of, of trash wow. um, during during the during the pandemic. I think they brought in like 60,000 pounds. Um, you know, it, it, it's just hard work, and, and they they love doing it. That. Aquatic invasive species fight, that's a tough one, isn't it? It is. Um, it, it truly, and part of the problem is if we go to a certain part of the country and we're talking about Asian carp, that may or may not be of concern to someone in Idaho. Mm -hmm. uh, but if they took a step back and realized it may not be the Asian carp, but they're dealing with invasive species. One, one way or another, they've got something. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, that even on Capitol Hill, that has been a problem of educating certain members or their staff as to why they should care overall. Um, we had a, a member from New York City that heard heard our pitch on Asian carp and he's just like, well, why should I care? And it wasn't until you explained that they're moving, they're moving. And at some point they will be in New York City. And once, once you figure that out, then all of a sudden it's, oh, well, let me be concerned by this. 
Um, so, you know, Florida has, has their own uh, their own problems with various other creatures that uh, that are there causing causing problems with the environment. And so if we look at it in the broad sense, everyone needs everyone should care. Is this something that local groups can can contact you and, and try to partner up with you on different projects? Uh, absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, the Coastal Conservation Association's uh, Maryland chapter, uh, they last summer started a tournament. It was summer long and it was, you were fishing for snakeheads and blue catfish. And so that was a widely successful program. Um, you've got others that you know, saltwater with with lionfish, uh, and and having cook-offs with the lionfish, which actually is quite delicious. Really? Uh, yes. Um, and so people are finding various ways to to use these these species that that are that aren't supposed to be there that yeah. are causing the problems, and in some cases they're they turn out to be quite a delicacy. Well, we'd like to partner with Right Waters to keep snakeheads out of Minnesota. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> uh, well, are, are you all dealing with that? No, no, thankfully. I don't think so. I haven't heard of Not any of that. Not that I've yeah. ever heard of. I don't even want to think about it. <laughs> no. yeah. Now, hey, and once again, I, I'm being told the snakehead is quite a tasty fish. Hmm. You know, I wouldn't be surprised, and I, we've talked about. In fact, we talked about it earlier on this show. We ate a, we caught a sucker actually up on the Rainy River during our tournament last week, and uh, a buddy of ours who who is kind of a, uh, likes to cook wild game all the time. He's like, I'm gonna keep because it was all catch and release for walleyes and sturgeon, um, but you could keep a sucker. It's considered a, a rough fish here, so he kept a sucker and uh, cooked it up, baked it up in the in the oven. I came into the cabin and I'm like, what? what's going on in here? And he had, a, he had a sucker in the oven and it was delicious. And I think we fed it to a bunch of people. They got to try it. And I think it opened up, uh, it opened up uh, the minds of a lot of these people. You know, there's such a stigma to a, a rough fish that it's not going to taste good when in reality, so many things, if it's processed correctly, it can make it taste pretty good. So I, I'd try it. I'd eat it. I'd, I wouldn't have a problem eating it. I just don't, ugh. Yeah, <laughs> just just don't look at it before uh, before it gets on your plate. You'll be fine. <laughs> no. Right. Uh, speaking of which, Yamaha's Right Waters was a sponsor on our on our tournament last week. I, I want to thank you again for being a. a a partner with us on that i know when we talked and i was telling you about the the cleanup process on the rainy river and what the river has become you were all about it and uh i uh, liked hearing that story so um what what is yamaha doing when it comes to say manufacturing what are they doing uh in the manufacturing process uh to reduce waste well we have uh, initiated a, a pledge to be carbon neutral by 2030 uh, and just last summer, we initiated a pilot program where the, our engines are wrapped in a plastic, our boats come wrapped in plastic, the, the wave runners, etc. And what we are doing is working with our boat building partners and our dealers that we will send them everything they need to box up the plastic and send it back to us and no charge to them. Uh, and then it gets, it, it works through a group called the Tommy Nova Center um, that uh, is just an incredible organization. Uh, but they clean up the plastic, get anything that, that won't process. And we take it to a, a company that will break that plastic down into its base elements. Really? Uh, and yes. So it, it basically is the circle, you know, the circular economy, so to speak. And it can be converted back into other products. Recycling. You know, it's nice to see uh, you hear about 
some recycling efforts that don't aren't the people aren't actually like the like the, the recycling materials aren't actually getting recycled like they're supposed to be getting recycled so it's nice to hear um, somebody doing it the right way i guess well what's what's neat is is they go to their second generation burners um because this process will create a a liquid a wax and a gas well they're going to use the gas to power the burners so it truly truly is utilizing every aspect of of the plastic to the best of, of of their ability what's the future hold what do you have coming up that you're a part of well um you know once again we're gonna we're gonna be expanding that program but uh, within the next five years, we intend to have all of our facilities uh, solar powered. Mm. Um, we are in the process of partnering with various groups as far as carbon sequestration projects, uh, artificial reef projects. Um, quite frankly, as we, you know, like I said, we're three years old. And so we, we're still growing. Sure. And each year as, as we grow, um, we look to take on bigger and bigger projects. So. Is there anything going on uh, in the Met, Minnesota, Wisconsin, the Dakotas region, or are you looking to get something going up here? I, I would love to get something going uh, up in that region. We just signed a partnership with uh, Wildlife Forever, which I believe is based out of Minnesota, uh, fighting, they specifically are, are fighting spread of aquatic invasive species, mm. uh, mostly kind of plant life and, and, and such, but uh, you know, they do wonderful work. We would love to, to partner up with some groups uh, in, in that region to expand our footprint. Okay. Well, I've got a couple ideas for you. So we'll talk about that. And fantastic. I, I think it's great. You have to look towards the future. Um, if you love to hunt and fish, you can't just hunt and fish, but you have to do it in a way that protects hunting and fishing for future generations and outdoor recreation in general. And sometimes that means you got to do things that, uh, that aren't always out there catching fish or or uh, chasing chasing animals and birds around you have to be you have to be active and you have to uh you have to look look to the future for sure so uh, i'm glad to see the right waters yamaha's right waters program get started i wish you wish you luck and i thank you for the time here on the show and where can people go to learn more about it uh, if you go to uh yamaha outboards.com slash sustainability uh, that will take you to our right waters page. And um, as we get, as we continue to grow, uh, we will start expanding our online presence as well. Uh, but the sustainability tab on our outboards uh, website will get you there uh, for now. Perfect. Well, very good. Uh, John O'Keefe, Senior Specialist, Marine Government Relations. Thanks for the time today on, on Sporting Journal Radio. All right. Thanks, Brett. Did you know there are more than 1,000 lakes in Ottertail County? Yep. And I'm going to fish as many as I can. I'm an outdoorsy otter. Nothing beats a full day of fishing for me. The lakes of Ottertail County give me plenty of options to lower my boat and snag the perfect catch. Not an outdoorsy otter? No problem. Ottertail County has something for everyone. You just need to find your inner otter. To find your inner otter, go to ottertaillakescountry.com. Now we're going to head up to Devil's Lake and check in with Lucas Mertens from Haybale Heights Campground and Resort. Uh, Lucas, you got a little bit of snow this week up there. Yeah, you bet. Um, right now, I'd say we're sitting with about a foot right in the Devil's Lake area with probably I'm, I'm hearing up to like 16 inches to the west of us so hmm. pretty pretty good storm um i guess uh winter wasn't ready to let go yet and when we're talking to you that is the storm still going on yeah i'm looking out the window right now um it's it's snowing pretty good right now as we speak so yeah it's quite, uh, predi quite predicting the pre another like six inches today okay. so 
quite the prediction there when I saw, you know, 20 to 30 inches over that north central part of North Dakota there. That's just when you think spring is over or spring is here, winter's over. <laughs> nope. Yeah, ex exactly. Um, welcome to the Dakotas. Yeah, right. Well, everything's been so dry. I know I saw a lot of people in the waterfall world that were saying, hey, this is going to be a little bit of pain to go through this storm, but we need this moisture in the in the potholes, in the pothole region. As a, from a farmer's perspective, uh, how, how much did you, how much moisture did you need or where are you guys sitting, you think? Well, you know, last fall it started raining for us right here in the basin. And so we froze up, I would say, just about perfect. And then we had about average snow this winter, and it melted off. Um, I am definitely seeing the potholes are filling back up. Um, all the ducks and geese are back. There are millions and millions of snow geese right in the, in the Devil's Lake area right now. And a lot of the honkers are looking for uh, places to, to nest and things like that. So I don't think they're going to have trouble finding any water this spring. Okay, the snow geese are there. Okay, we'll be right there. See you in six hours. Yeah, there's a lot, lot of snow geese here. <laughs> yep. I'm sure they got, it's, you probably got the adults kind of hold up there. They probably got pushed back a little bit with this storm and he'll see a reverse yep. migration. You had posted a video I don't know, about a week or so ago, I think, about uh, water levels on Devil's Lake. I think you were at a culvert, and the water was running pretty good. you think the yep. lake's going to be up this year? Yeah. Um, we have probably seen already maybe close to a foot rise. And, um, like, the weather prediction, the weather service was predicting us to be between two and three feet. Mm -hmm. And that was before this snow um, I think they were a little on the high side. I was probably expecting a foot and a half to maybe two, but with this um, with this big snowstorm across basically the whole basin, I would say we'll get two and a half feet now. Would be my guess, and maybe three. You never know. Um, so yeah, you know, the, the the levels on the lake are going to be are, are going to be significantly higher than they were last year. That's for sure. Hmm. Did Did you want them to be higher? How does that What does that mean for you and for anglers on the lake? Well, it means a lot more backwater access. I mean, there was a lot of bays that were starting to get cut off. Now, by no means was Devil's Lake drying up and all the fishing is terrible. Um, I think it's just going to help our spawns out a little bit. And, and um, you know, you got to be kind of on the fence up in Devil's Lake. I mean, there's a lot of farmers who uh, gain back a lot of land. Um, oh, I'm yeah. one of them. And I also own a marina. And so you want to see your docks floating and you want to see your land. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword for us. Um, but in the end, you can't really do anything about it anyways. It's mother nature. Yeah. So, I mean, we're just gonna, we're just gonna take it. And, um, I mean, I, I think it was a good thing. We were so dry last year that, um, I mean, all the farmers needed some rain. So I think all this is a good, is a good thing for the basin. It was a little hard moving some of that snow from this last storm. It sounds like. Yeah, the ground was pretty much thought out. Um, if you if you want to move it off your driveway onto the grass, you got to be really careful. Um, you know, typically a snow like this won't stick around very long, but you know they're predicting temperatures only up in the twenties and lows around you know in the teens. So this is going to take a little while to to get rid of and back to spring. Hmm. How was winter for you? Winter was great. Um, you know, we had um, tough conditions out on the lake as far as snow, snow drifts, lots of ice. Um, but we ran the snow bears every day. We had lots of people. We kind of had a mixed bag of fishing. I mean, there's no secret about that. I mean, one day we would get get a lot of fish, and the next day we'd go back to the same areas. And, you know, they wouldn't be there or they wouldn't bite. I mean, we had a hard time getting the perch to just go. And even as we worked our way to March, you know, typically that's supposed to get better. We never really seen that. Um, we had a real good early bite, and then we just kind of had kind of an average bite the rest of the winter. Well, we're looking forward to summer. And uh, when are you going to start? When do you think you'll start uh, having people up there to fish open water on Devils? Oh, I would say... Um, you know, probably mid-May, you know, there'll be boats starting to go out. There were some guys, you know, the culverts are running. Um, so there are guys coming up and uh, fishing from shore, uh, fishing some of those channels and coolies. And they've been having good luck. Um, I've seen some nice walleyes being caught. I've seen some pike being caught. But I would say, you know, mid, 
mid-May. Um, that's really when the, the camping season and the, and the cabins and all that really get going around here. You gonna, are you going to offer some uh, snow bears with spear holes next year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, uh, you know, they, they let uh, spearing for walleyes take place on Devil's Lake. I mean, that'll be yeah. kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, how do you how do you feel about that? Well, you know, to be honest, I don't think that the few fish that they're going to spear are even going to make a difference. Yeah. Um, so I guess uh, to me, it's kind of mute. Um, I, I really don't think it's going to impact the, the sport one way or the other very much. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's kind of the consensus right now. A few people are, I think we're a little shocked about it, but it's been going on in South Dakota for, for as long as I know. And, right, right. and uh, obviously their their fisheries are just fine down there. So interesting times. Uh, Lucas Mertens, if people want to come up and uh, uh, stay at Hay Bale this summer and do some fishing with you up there, what should they do? Well, they can check out our uh, Facebook page. They can call me direct. 701-351-3130 or they can go to our website which is com. Lucas Mertens, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. Devil's Lake is legendary and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. Well, we're still feeling the effects of our big party last week uh the 500 show here with sporting journal radio and uh i know i said it a lot last week but i want to thank of course the guys that helped me out with this show that do it on, on a weekly basis with us 500 shows is a pretty pretty cool deal and we had a, a great time up at uh, lake of the woods on the rainy river at riverbend resort there and i uh, got to fish a couple of days with joe henry from lake of the woods tourism who joins us now on the show joe probably the greatest fishing experience of your life i'm assuming last week well, fishing with you i mean <laughs> take out fishing just experience of my life yeah <laughs> yeah exactly uh you got to eat some sucker which yeah. was probably I mean, how, how many guys get to eat uh you know sucker baked in an oven with limited spices <laughs> <laughs> i'm surprised he didn't put the mayo on the yeah, sucker. yeah i thought i figured he would have well, you know, watching watching that video you made, if anybody hasn't seen that YouTube video we made from our trip, I mean, it was funny because uh, Corey was, uh, he was looking to cook some, was it duck breast, wasn't Mallard, it? Mallard, yeah. Oh. Mallard breast, and he didn't have really any spices in the cabin. You, know, you go into a, a cabin at a resort, and they don't have spices and stuff, and nobody thought to bring anything. But what they did have for sandwiches was they had mayonnaise. So he loaded that fry pan up with mayonnaise, and then the smoke alarm started going <laughs> Immediately, yeah. Yeah. Got the oil a little hot. It was delicious, though. This, though. What, what was kind of cool is, so Corey made that, and of course, the sucker we're talking about is, sucker was obviously the one fish you could keep on the Rainy River. He thought he'd come and experiment. He baked it with, I think he put some lemon on there and, and some other stuff. And, you know, everybody, once that fish is baked, that flaky meat, putting that on crackers with a little bit of cream cheese and some sriracha and actually it was kind of a fun appetizer the fact was who eats baked sucker i know yeah. i never do and but you know i gotta give him credit Corey, because you know really creative with trying some different things like that but even just saying hey we can't keep walleyes, we can't keep sturgeon but man if we keep a sucker let's bring it back to the cabin let's cook it somehow and experiment with it kind of neat david you had uh what you thought was going to be the cheek yeah i went for I went for the cheek, but it was all gill plate. So <laughs> went for the, the next best thing, and that was the nose snout area. <laughs> How was it? It tasted like the rest of it. It was pretty good. Yeah. Well, it's I, I've said it before. I'll continue to say it. There are so many things you can, if you process it, care for it, and cook it, take a little bit of time and do it right, you can make just about anything taste good. And, uh True. That was good. I think, you know, Brett, uh, as far as sucker goes, too, I should mention that, you know, uh, uh, our good friend Larry Whiteley from down in Missouri, you know, um, Larry was telling me how they they get suckers in the springtime, which right now people start catching them and netting them even. But, you know, they he he's kind of scores them, cuts them sideways, like with X's on them and the and they put them on the grill and put seasoning on them and they bake them. They cook them that way. And. He said they are the best darn thing ever. So, you know, I think there are some different things that maybe we should be looking into that we're not. 
Well, we made a whole Prairie Sportsman episode about uh, catching sheephead and cooking them up and cleaning them and uh, and wow. catfish too on that same one. But yeah, they were good. They were good. It's uh, I think so much of it is just a, a mental stigma, you know, even eel pound for that for that matter. Once once something gets classified as a rough fish versus a game fish, I think it just puts that mental you know image in people's brains that this is not going to be a good fish to eat when in fact it's it could be delicious um joe the other thing in that video was how we switched to crankbaits and ran uh, three-way rigs on the river and caught a pile of fish and since that video went out you're hearing reports of a lot of people doing that yeah sure am and you know in fact i just talked to a friend of mine who uh, lives up at lake lewis area and you know he uh He'd mentioned that uh, they went out and caught multiple, multiple walleyes one evening pulling three-way rigs with crankbaits uh, over 28 inches with uh, a, a few fish over 30 inches. So, I mean, they, they had that, that might be the best day they ever have in their lives fishing with multiple fish over 28, multiple, multiple fish. So, I mean, it, but, you know, one, one thing about it was, you think about it, Brett, you know, we were jigging and it was cold and it was snowy and we were catching a few fish here and there. But you know what? Um... We just said, gull darn it, there's thousands of fish in this river. Let's pull some crankbaits. Let's put our crankbaits in front of a, thousands of walleyes. Somebody's going to take a snap at it, just reaction, instinctively. And we were right. We the, the water was cold. It went from 36 to 33 degrees, but we covered water. We put our lures in front of a lot of fish. And, and well, I'll tell you, with that three-way rig, you know, you can, you can follow the bottom with that sinker and just bounce that off the bottom while you're trolling. And your crankbait, a shallow diving crank, is always going to be in the strike zone. Whether it's 15 feet, 7 feet, 20 feet, you're following that bottom of the river, and it's perfect for that. Well, when the when the fish weren't biting with the jigs, if the crankbaits hadn't worked, I was about to suggest anchoring up and trying to catch some big sturgeon. And I know uh, some guys are doing that and catch some catching some real nice fish. And that's pretty much going to be your only option up at Lake of the Woods on the Rainy River now, isn't it? Yeah, other than suckers. <laughs> suckers, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, you know, and, and I'll tell you what, for uh, for sturgeon season, so right now it's in uh, the sturgeon are biting. I mean, we saw that when we were up there. But, you know, uh, right now it's catch and release, you know, only. And then I'm looking at my dates. Actually come April 24th is when you can start the keep season. And your keep season, you buy a tag for 5 bucks, and you can keep one sturgeon per calendar year. It's got to be between 45 to 50 inches or over 75 you got to take that uh, fish and register it within uh, uh, tw- tw- uh, sorry, 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of neat because uh, for people that do want to keep a sturgeon, if you catch one in the right size, again, most people smoke them. And that meat is a very delicious, rich meat. And, you know, the DNR monitors how many fish are kept. They have an idea of how many. And the sturgeon population is extremely healthy. So if somebody would want to keep one, it's certainly within your realm to do that. Yeah, they would they would close that if the fishery wasn't in such great shape. And part of the reason it is, uh, it's a really neat story about how that river was cleaned up up there, Joe. Oh, man. Well, the, the Clean Water Act came into play. And, you know, before then, like in the 50s and 60s, you know, um, there was back before there was a lot of regulations. There was a lot of there's a paper mill upstream at the dam in I Falls. And there was a lot of pulp that was coming downstream. And that pulp was, I mean, anglers would tell you, and there you can see a, a, actually a picture of all that. That picture is amazing. Just incredible. What's but, he know, doing there, Joe? Well, I think, I think what he's doing is he's digging down in that pulp to get to the river. To get to river the river. Yeah. Look, at, look, how far, look how deep that pulp is. It's up to his waist. And that's just pulp that have accumulated along shore. You used to talk to people that would fish the Rainy River, Brett, and they'd have to reel up every once in a while to clean their lines off because it would accumulate on their lines as it was hmm. going downstream. And it was pretty tough. But I think in the early 70s, if I'm not mistaken, they came out with the Clean Water Act. And then um, I, my understanding is they, the Clean Water Act came out, and then they really started enforcing it. They, somehow they got some teeth behind it. And that is when, you know, industry really started cleaning up. And it was interesting because some of the, the people that really followed this believed that a lot of the sturgeon would live in the tributaries of the Rainy River um, to avoid some of the pollution. And then, of course, once the Rainy River started cleaning up, uh, the sturgeon population really started booming. Of course, that was combined with, you know, stopping the commercial netting, too. But we can see that. The average size of the sturgeon is going up. The numbers of sturgeon are going up. And we really have a, a very healthy lake sturgeon fishery right now, partly because of the Clean Water Act. And I know a lot of people want to go up there and catch walleyes because of the chance to catch, you know, uh, the biggest walleye of your life. 
But some people now are just going up there to catch the biggest sturgeon of their life. They don't even care about the walleyes anymore because you can go up there and catch, you know, a 70 to 80 inch fish, which is unreal. I mean, those are those are giant, giant fish and uh, they put up a good fight and it's it's easy to do. And uh, and it's kind of unique to catch a fish, a dinosaur like that uh, a fish that could be 100 years old, potentially. And I think one of the interesting things you could do up there as well, Joe, is there's a time of year when those sturgeon go up the river to spawn. Uh, you can actually go and kind of view them and see them stacked up there along the shoreline. Well, that, that's exactly right. So the Rapid River, which is just east of uh, uh, Badat uh, near Clemenson, you know, they, they run up that Rapid River. Usually it's in May, I think. And, you know, when they run up the river, I mean, uh, it's a spectacle because these huge fish are in shallow water. You can see them clear as day. That's kind of a neat deal. When it comes to the sturgeon fishing, first off, sturgeon fishing isn't that difficult. Basically, you're looking for a hole in the river and you're fishing the, the deep holes of the river with, you know, like a, 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 a no roll, a flat sinker that won't roll in the current. There you see the, the sturgeon running from, from last year. But, you know, you use a no roll sinker, you use a, a sturgeon rig, which is an 18 inch uh, lead of 60 pound test leader material with a three to five lot circle hook. And you load it up with either uh, crawlers and or crawlers and you know frozen shiners and just fish the bottom and it's amazing when those sturgeon hit you would think that they'd hit it hard because they're such a big fish but you can't tell the difference whether it's a sucker or a carp or a i mean it's tap 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 and of course those circle hooks are so good because they normally if, if the sturgeon takes it down kind of deep that sturgeon that the circle hook will slide out and hook that fish in the lips um, the other thing i should mention too about sturgeon which makes them so interesting is people do call them prehistoric or dinosaurs because their existence is from way back, thousands and thousands of years ago. The other thing that's kind of cool is that, you know, when you catch a real small sturgeon, they have these real sharp, they have a, a armor on them that's real hard to protect them. And on the sides of them, they have these sharp, almost bone-like structures called scoots. And they're very sharp. You almost have to be careful when you handle them. There, there's a small one there that would have the, the sharp scoots. What happens is when those sturgeons start getting older, those scoots start getting a kind of uh, um, filed down, I guess. They're not quite as sharp, but then their sheer size protects them from yeah. predators. And it's really quite interesting. And they're, they're just, a, and they fight, man. You know, you talk about catching a 70 to 80 inch sturgeon. That's a monster there. That's a big sturgeon. They're in there. We know they are because, you know, the DNR has netted them and people have caught them and released them. Realistically, if you go up sturgeon fishing, real good chance you're going to catch a fish that's 40, 50, 60 inches long. That is, in its own right is a heck of a fight. You won't believe the power these fish have until you hook on. And Brett, it's relaxing. I mean, you're anchoring up in a, in a hole of the river, you're kicking back, pitching your rod out and just kind of put it in the rod holder or lean it against the side of the boat and just kind of tighten the lineup and watching it. It's just so relaxing. It's pretty, the migration's going on, it's just cool. Yep, it's a lot of fun. It's an amazing fishery up there, and the the clean water success story uh, I think is a great one, and it serves as a great example of what what can be accomplished in our fisheries uh, around the world, for that matter. Joe, if people want to learn more about Rainy River fishing or making a summer trip to Lake of the Woods, what should they do? Even even an advice on how to catch sturgeon, we have a whole page on it. Check out our website, and that is lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Northern Minnesota's Walleye Factory is a year-round world-class fishing destination. The perfect getaway this summer is just a short drive to Lake of the Woods. Fish Big Traverse Bay, the Rainy River, or visit the unique Northwest Angle. To catch big fish, you have to go where the big fish are. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. That's lakeofthewoodsmn.com. All right, next we're going to go to Otter Tail Lakes Country and check in with Eric Osberg, who I've got a bone to pick with. Eric. What's the bone? What's, what's up now? We didn't get any uh, maple syrup milkshakes during the 500 show party last week. He didn't bring any up. That is my fault. And, and, and I'm not making an excuse, but I was disappointed when I, I did go to Maple Syrup Fest in Vegas, and I didn't see the, I didn't see the milkshakes either. And it, so I, 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 they had ice cream at Maplewood State Park, but they, but I didn't see the milk. And it could have been I just didn't look hard enough. I didn't look in the right spot. But you are right. I was going to bring – Dan was going to bring the shake, and I was going to bring the – I didn't bring the shake either, so I'm hardly to blame. So it's a, I, owe you, I owe you a maple syrup milkshake. You are right, Dan. It's, it's my fault. Well, I'm glad you were able to – 
I'm, I'm glad you and Randon were able to come up and you brought Willie with you as well too. And it sounds like maybe uh, Willie and Randon tied for the, the biggest walleye in the boat. Well, Willie, Willie actually, Willie, Willie got the most with 11 and, and Willie got the biggest. It wasn't a giant. It was 22 and a half. Um, but it, it was pre, it was, it was like his first fish of the day. It was, it was, oh, okay. it was pre, pre-contest. Sure. And so, um, so Willie got, uh, Willie got the, Randon got the first, Willie got the most and, and Willie got the biggest. Willie edged out Randon 11 fish to 10. And <laughs> That's great. How old is he? He's 13. 13. I bet that was a cold, cold boat ride for him. It was, and and I was I was super, yeah there you, there you go. And That's awesome. I, oh, look at Randon. <laughs> That's great. I, I I was pretty worried going up there because, and I had told Willie this is a big boy trip. This is not, hey, the fish aren't biting. We should go in, or I'm cold. We should go in. I'm like, once you're in that boat, we're 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 not pulling the pin. And um, the good news is, yeah, oh, that's I, that's arguably one of the most Minnesotan pictures I've ever taken. <laughs> um, and, and so the good news is, is Willie's first, like Willie got a fish within the first seven or eight minutes. Like it wasn't long. He had, and he, we were pulling cranks and he had the rod in his hand and bam, he had, you know, 22 and a half inch walleye. Hmm. So, so that's always good to get off to a good start. Um, and uh, there's our, our favorite lure was the, the flicker shad, the, the slick purple bangle flicker shad. Um, so, so he was engaged right away. But as the snow kept falling and the winds kept blowing, and I don't know if the temps were dropping or not, but it sure felt like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, you know, I, and I, I was prepared. I brought a buddy heater and I had a big blanket. And so Willie had a place where he could, you know, regain the feeling in his fingers at least. Um and there, I'll be. I'll admit, there were times where I said, "Here, take my phone and just hide out for a little bit underneath that blanket and, and stay warm." Um, because if you're pulling cranks, you can just have the rod and the rod holder. And then, uh, but but we and then we went in for lunch. This might have been the best idea that we had. We we brought a little grill and and we did some hot dogs on the tailgate of the truck. And so we were all able to to get off of the boat, get onto land. Uh, we tur- you know started the truck up, turned the heat on, got some hot food in our bellies, and and w- when we decided it was time to go back on the water, uh, Willie was the first one walking down the ramp towards the boat. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like you know I had to drag him kicking and screaming. He was like, "Let's go!" And then you know we fished till like three thirty ish, and then we pulled the pin because it did it, it you know by then you, we had executed every plan we thought we could try and we had covered water and we had covered a couple spots two or three times and 20 you know 22 fish in a in a in a in a day with a yeah with, with some nice ones that's a that's a fun trip especially with that weather that we had you know everything had uh was pretty nice that first day monday when we got up there and then the weather turned and i think that second day when we we switched to pulling cranks midway through that first day of the tournament and started catching fish and then we we pretty much pulled cranks all day and day two and that's we were probably 25 to 30 fish and that was three of us in that boat too and we definitely did better uh than than everybody else out there so 22 fish and getting some in the 20s you know and when everything kind of shut down the big fish were definitely turned off with that cold front so that's a pretty good day up there and it's funny that you bring up the blanket because uh i think are we gonna i think we got to talk about it next week i think i don't think we can talk about it yet but we got a a brand new blanket that we're going to be talking about here on the show to keep people warm whether they're out there in a cold day in the boat or if they're out there hunting so we'll tell you about that next week on the show here uh eric and i'm wondering can i still go try to find one of those maple syrup milkshakes or is that done for the year is that just a special one-time only deal or is that something you can go find year-round well, I, it's kind of a, a, a one-time only deal, but you could get some, you could make your own for sure. You know, like you could make a milkshake and then you could use your own homemade maple syrup and, and, and just, just, just add it to it. And, and there you go. But uh, I'm pretty sure the, the mass production of, of maple syrup milkshakes is probably. <laughs> Can I get, so I saw you were out at Maplewood state park. They were making maple syrup out there. Is that, can I, can I, 
buy that maple syrup somewhere or is that just a kind of a demonstration or the same kind of deal one time only or how does that work that's a demonstration there's a lot there's a few local vendors so like if you go to one of our so let's say you went to Vergas or let's say you went to Purim or or wherever you might go shopping in Ottertail County there's a couple of local brands I don't know the names right off the top of my head but there's some locally you know and when I say mass produced I don't mean they're shipping worldwide but there's some some fairly sophisticated uh, maple syrup folks that uh, there's one it, it, I, I want to say Aquila, but but it, I, that's probably not right. But there's some locally produced maple syrup here um, that you can find in in locally in local stores and things of that nature. Um, but but I think what what a lot of people are are starting to realize is is they can make their own, and and it wouldn't take. I mean, obviously you can't produce, again, mass quantities, but if you have a couple of maple trees in your backyard and you created a system, you could make your own maple syrup because it's, 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 a, it's a process, right? You've got to tap the trees, you've got to collect the, the sap, and then it's a boiling down process. And, and there's just a, a couple of tricks. Like one thing is, I've seen people use like a, a turkey fryer vat. It's a mm. tall vat. Mm. Well, that's not necessarily ideal because you're really just heating up that bottom two or three inches. Now, now all of the liquid eventually gets hot, but you'd be better off with a, a big rectangular uh, tray, if you will. So if you had a tray that was five, six inches deep, and but, but wide, right? Then you'd have more surface area when you're when you're trying to boil down that sap, and and you know what I learned at the at, at Maplewood State Park is they really only have about two inches of sap that they pour into the um, into the into the boil down pan, right? Then the other thing I learned is they have kind of a a warming spot. So rather than taking sap like out of a cooler or out of a bucket at at air temperature and just dumping it into this thing they'll have a, a you know so they have their their big tray that they're boiling down in and then they have another tray that's close to the fire or close to the heat source and it's getting warmed up so when they pour it in it's not boiling you know meats cold if sure. you will sure. and, then, and then it's just a process of boiling it down to get the right consistency take you know cleaning off the 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 whatever comes out of sap when you boil it, debris, I don't know. You just clean it off, you boil it down, and you bottle it up, and there you go. So is so, that just a vol just some volunteers that do that, or do you post something on, you know, what's some of the job sites where, where you, you post, hey, we're looking for a guy to come make some maple syrup at Maplewood State Park? <laughs> that That is, I don't, they would, I don't think they pay, no. Um, that's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a group called Friends of Maplewood State Park, and they're, they're a group of dedicated volunteers that through over the years have, have created these different events uh, in the in the fall they do leaf days at, at Maplewood State Park so you've got you know the the, the 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 park staff who works for the Minnesota DNR but then you've got this group called friends of Maplewood State Park uh, Glendalow State Park has a similar group uh, their, their, their bit is a little bit different it's it focuses more on biking um, but still each of the parks each of the state parks in the county has um, a dedicated group of volunteers that, that make these things happen. But, but speaking of jobs, um, there are plenty of jobs in, in, in Ottertail County. And, and um, we're always looking for folks that are looking for a change of pace. Uh, they're looking for a slower, a slower pace of life. If you, if, if you, if you will. And, and there you go there, we've got, what we've got on our website is we've got, we call it a jobs portal and it, it's it's a robot. It's an aggregate website. It it is searching the web, the World Wide Web, and it's pulling in every single job that is listed on the internet into one spot. Um, and and so this can make searching for a job a little bit easier. Um, and there's different filters. You can you can break it down by by community. You can break it down by job type. But uh, I think at the top of the screen there, it said there's there's over a thousand jobs right now wow. in Ottertail County, and so if you're if you're looking if you're looking for work um, or looking for a change of pace, maybe you're currently employed and you just don't really love where you live, we'd um, 
we'd love to have you here. And I, so speaking of Saturday, or speaking of Maple Syrup Festival, I had a, a, a reporter with me from the Star Tribune on Saturday. And so she wanted to talk about our, our resident recruitment efforts and, and what we're doing to try to recruit residents and, and, and thereby workforce. And so we went, we met at the Maple Syrup Fest in Vergas and there was a pancake breakfast and, and it was awesome. And I was, I was trying to explain to her that the, you and I have talked about this before, Brett, the do no harm mentality, right? Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to promote lakes and hurt them. And it, that there would be some that would say, well, if we have a bunch of people move here, you know, won't that kind of take away from the charm? And right. my, my belief is that the nice thing about Ottertail County is some communities or some areas are built off of a, a an intersection or a lake or a chain of lakes or a highway or something. There's one like main spot, whereas in Ottertail County, it's the places in between that 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 kind of make a make the place who we are. And so the, the, the interesting thing was we were at Vergas at the Maple Syrup Fest. We, we did what we needed to do there. And then we were going to travel to Maplewood State Park. It's not that far. It's like 15 miles, but it takes you 20 to 25 minutes. And I didn't I didn't plan for this to happen. But the drive there was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was, <laughs> there was, you know, frozen lake after frozen lake after hilly, you know, wooded, whatever. And then there was, we saw deer, we saw geese, we saw an eagle, we saw trumpeter swans. And so when we arrived at Maplewood State Park and she got out of her car, I was like, wasn't that awesome? Like, it, you didn't think you would enjoy your commute from Vergas to Maplewood State Park. <laughs> You took her. On, you took her on the scenic route, but you didn't. You didn't plan to take her on the scenic route. It's just that they're all scenic routes. They're all scenic routes, exactly. <laughs> like getting from spot A to spot. You know, getting there is half the fun, and so yeah. um, it was. And and it was cool that that just kind of organically happened. That she was like, you know, and she was like, "What were those big, huge birds?" And I'm like, "I think they were trumpeters." You know, so I could sense that she got a little intrigued. And then, so we did the we did the demonstration, and we were doing this and learning about maple syrup, and then we kind of went to a different spot in the park and I, and I said, and, and I could hear birds. I could hear some things. I could hear the, the woods being alive. And uh, I said, the real, one of the real reasons I love living here is if you're quiet enough, you can hear mother nature. Hmm. And so we, we both stopped talking and we just listened for like 25, 30 seconds, you know, kind of an awkward silence. Right. But she was like, wow, I didn't hear any traffic. I didn't hear any of this. I'll, I'll, and I was like, see, you know, and, and, it, and it doesn't have to just be on Saturdays. If you live here, that's what Tuesday is like. That's what yeah. Wednesday is like. That's what Thursday is like. Get out of and the if, city, man. Get out yeah. of the city, man. And, 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 and um, yeah. When you, you, got, you got one job for every lake, it looks like there in yeah. Otter Tail Lakes country. <laughs> pick, a lake, pick a lake, pick a job. There you go. 1,100 jobs, 1,100 lakes, whatever whatever it is. Uh, Eric, if people want to learn a little bit more about these job opportunities or living in Otter Tail Lakes country, what should they do? They can find their inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Sporting Journal Radio is a division of Macaba LLC. If you've got a question, comment, or story idea for us, send us an email. Go to sportingjournalradio.com. While you're there, you can learn how to advertise on the show and visit our store for hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Go to sportingjournalradio.com.